You know, I never get tired of this story that uh, Jeff read for us a moment ago. It's one of those stories I first heard when I was just the age of the children who were gathered here in the front for children's moments. And it's a story that's gripped me ever since. This story of these disciples, these students and apprentices of Jesus, they are there one day and something happens that we barely have the words to describe. So Jesus led them up a high mountain, which was not unusual. You may remember something like the Sermon on the Mount, for example. He leads them up the mountain, but then when they get to the top, there's this change that happens. I love what Pat talked about. Jesus changed his appearance. The writers of the script, the translators of the scripture, they're not sure how to handle that word. And so they give us a word that's the word transfigure. It's a word we don't use very often. Um, It's a word that I can't imagine using other than the context of this passage. Sometimes I think when there are these kind of words that are different, it's because they just can't quite grasp. None of the words we would normally use are quite right to describe what happened there. The light shone forth from Jesus as bright as the sun and of the light, his clothing dazzling in its brightness. It's quite a powerful story, isn't it? It's a story in which the veil of heaven, we discover, is very thin. And it's a moment where the disciples, these three, come face to face with the reality that this Jesus who they have been following is in fact God. He's talking to Moses and Elijah. They're in the room with them. It's a picture of heaven. And then they go down the mountains and they marvel at this vision that they had seen God. It's a powerful story. But you know, the more I think about it, I cannot escape one gnawing question And it's this, the disciples in that moment saw God, but were they not seeing God every day? Were these disciples not, were not these disciples that were standing on the mountain with Jesus also the disciples that walked and lived and ate with Jesus every day, 24-7 for three years? Were they not continually in the presence of God? But yet here, it was only in this moment when the veil of heaven was pulled away that they realized it. And I wonder, isn't that the truth about us as well? That we have these moments, and I hope maybe you've had one of these moments where it felt as though the veil of heaven was torn apart and you were right there in the unfiltered, unadulterated presence of the holy. Now, I don't know about you, but I came pretty, it may have been at a camp, 
maybe when you were a kid, maybe it was at a conference, or maybe it was during a time of prayer, or maybe it was on like a walk to Emmaus, uh, you know, a retreat weekend. You know, I came pretty close, I think, when we were singing How Great Thou Art this morning. Did you feel that we were coming right there to the edge of heaven? And those are powerful moments, and we want to take those moments, and we want to put them in a bottle. People ask us about them, and we're like, well, um, let me get back to you. I hope you've had those kind of moments. And, and you think that this moment, it, I hope it stays like this forever. But it doesn't. That's the hard part. We go back down to the mountain. We go back down the mountain and into our everyday life. And sometimes we get so uh, caught up that we've got to chase and we've got to find the next big moment, the next exciting thing, the next big conference or revival and we go ah, one after another. But I wonder if we're disciples of Jesus Christ do we not, in addition to having those great mountains of bright, brilliant splendor, are we not, can we not also be in the presence of God every day? And so I wonder, what is it like? What could, how could we live in the presence of God every day? You know, everything, Mike, Pastor Mike last Sunday, uh, if you were here, you heard this, or if not, you can look online, our podcast is online. Mike talked a little bit about how in our church, we are a church that is committed and centered around the mission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, and that is adopted by our United Methodist Church, that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That everything we do is centered around that mission, is everything we're going to do is centered around that mission of making disciples. And we talk about different paths and, and we talk about the path of being a disciple and, and, and we've worked on that and we talk about that to really be a fully sold out disciple of Jesus is about experiencing God every day. And we struggle with that because so much of our life is very ordinary, is very routine and that sometimes in the midst of those ordinary moments God gets pushed out of the picture I don't know about you, but that's the case, at least for me. But the good news is today that we have a God that is not just a God of moments, but we have a God who is a God of every day. The God that you and I have, the God that is our scriptures reveal to us, is a God that desires deep and intimate relationship with each one of us. If you go in your Bible back to the very first chapter of, of Genesis, you see that God created humankind in God's image. Male and female, God created us. And we were created not only to be in God's image, but to be in relationship with God when you read those first chapters, of two chapters of Genesis, you see that God, in the people, the first two humans, Adam and Eve, in the morning when they got up, God was right there with them. It was, hi God. In the, at lunchtime, it was, hi God. In the afternoon, God was still there. And when they went to bed at night, God was there. 
They were in relationship of interdependence and connection with one another and with God. But what happened, the tragedy, was that if you flip to Genesis 3, was that our first human ancestors disobeyed God. God said there was only one thing that you should not do, and that's the one thing they did. Their pride turned to unbelief, and their unbelief to rebellion. They believed that they could have it their way, that the, 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 the devil had put in them these seeds that somehow God was holding back, that God wasn't fully committed to their relationship. And so they stretched out and they took. And the relationship with God was broken. And that's what you and I live We live with this sense deep down in our hearts that God, that we have broken relationship with God. That we are, as the great novel put it, east of Eden. That we are disconnected. And so there's lots of stories, and you know them, of people trying to reach up to God, a God that is is so finite and far away. And that's the story of religion. It is the attempt to reach up to God But what we find, friends, is that the story of the gospel is not about how God gives us a step stool so we can step higher. But it's that God, in mercy, comes down to us. That when you and I, when we could not help ourselves, when we could not reach high enough for God, God reached all the way down to us. And that's what Jesus does. That's the good news, is that when Jesus comes, it is God who has come down to be among us, to help us, to rescue us from our broken relationships with him and with one another. And that's what the everyday God is about. It's about coming to us in good times and in bad times. But also in the, you know, kind of ordinary times. You know, sometimes it's easy to see God when times are good. And, you know, sometimes when times are bad, and I have been with people this week who are struggling, and I always, I always feel like the constant thing I ask people is, know that God is in the middle of this. That even in the midst of these terrible trials, God is here, and, and our minds are sharpened to that. But what about the times that are in between? They're just another day at the office. Another day taking the kids to school, going to the grocery store, cleaning the house, making dinner. Another day going to school, going to science, history. Another day retired. Another day wherever you are in life. Because you and I think life is really about the big moments. And so when we think about what are the things that have happened in our life, we point out things like our graduations. The the time that like uh, with Mike's son Daniel, that the one we love said, yes, I will marry you. Our weddings, the birth of our children, the birth of our grandchildren, great-grandchildren for some of you. The day we got the first grown-up adult job. The day we got to retire from our grown-up adult job. Those are days that we're like, man, these are the days that matter. 
But I want to suggest something to you that when the story of your life is written, when your legacy becomes known, those days where you made a difference are not just going to be, and there probably won't even mainly be those big days. They're going to be the ordinary days. What you have done day in and day out, the lives you've invested in, the family, your friends, your church, it's those everyday moments that make a difference. And it's in those moments where God shows up, where God wants to be and is right in the middle. See, the truth is that God is already there. He's not far off. He's right there with you. I was reading something from one of the great preachers of another century, which was shockingly relevant today. And he said this about faith, or belief. He said, belief is not the far off search for a distant God, but the turning, the looking, the trusting to a God who is always present and who is present now. No matter where you go, God is there. And God is love and he reaches down to us. But you know, sometimes we don't catch it. Sometimes we're too distracted by the ordinary things, the run-of-the-mill things you do day to day. We're like the people in a story, in a story I heard a couple of years ago. I don't know, maybe you've, you've heard it about the violinist who, uh, who was playing in the Washington, D.C. train station. You can catch the video. There's a hidden camera footage on YouTube. He played for 45 minutes at 8 a.m. on a busy day in, in the center of Washington, D.C. with people on their way to work. And it said in that 45 minutes, 1,100 people passed this man without even looking. They just passed while he was playing. He was casually dressed in a long sleeve t-shirt, jeans and sneakers and a ball cap. He was like maybe you've been to big cities and you've seen him in the train stations and on the street, the street musicians. 45 minutes, only 10 people stopped. He reached he, about $32 was put in his open violin case. But the interesting thing was that the violinist who was playing was a violinist named Joshua Bell. Some of you are classic music fans, I can tell. One of the great violinists of our day. And he was playing on a 1712 Stradivarius violin that cost $3.5 million. And he was playing some of the most complicated solo violin literature ever written by people such as Johann Sebastian Bach. And of 1,100 people, only 10 stopped to notice the divine beauty that was pouring forth at that place because it wasn't what they were expecting. And so sometimes we close in our lives with the expectations we have, but somehow God is there in different ways we cannot imagine, even in the ordinary of life. And you know, another problem is sometimes we, we chase these experiences and these feelings and emotions instead of looking for God. You know, so much of our life is tied up in 
You know, what can God do for me? What can be done in my life? Whereas instead, Jesus reminds us back in Matthew 6, he says, you know, you're worried about what you're going to do or what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. He says, no, what you do instead is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Any of you who have ever been involved in athletics knows that the main rule, and I'm not much of an athlete, so I'll take this on faith. The main rule is, when you play a sport, is to keep the main thing the main thing. Or, as my father reminded me, slightly, but not really successfully, when I tried to play baseball as a child, keep your eyes on the ball. You know this, right? Because when we take our eyes off the ball and we're focusing on something else, we'll miss the point. I heard a story this week about uh, University of Kentucky basketball. And it is so good to see you all here after yesterday's game. It's a good day. You all survived. It was good. I heard the story when Tubby Smith was coach at UK that uh, they were going through just a couple games that they weren't up to the level that, that Coach Smith expected them to play at Kentucky. And he found that he thought it was because they had become so enamored with the crowds and the excitement. I mean, can you imagine stepping out onto the hardwood at Rupp Arena at 18 years old and hearing the, all those crowds, and, and you know, the crowds at Rupp Arena are very quiet, very sedate, we all know. No, no, I've been there. And what Coach Smith found, he said so many of these players, they were seeking not the game, but the applause and the excitement and the media attention and their eyes were taken off the main focus. In fact, and so what I've heard is that Coach Smith, the way he wanted to address this was he had a special practice and it was a closed practice, no media, no fans, just the coach, the assistants, and the team. And what I heard, this story was that he came in there and asked one of his assistants to throw him a basketball. And he held it in his hands and he said, this is a basketball. And he said, and until we can focus on this, we're not leaving. And I heard that that changed the focus because that team, they had gotten so excited with the prestige and the emotions of being there that they had taken their eyes off the ball. And you and I, if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the emotions and the side effects of following Jesus and we don't follow Jesus. You see, the good news is that God calls us to himself, to know him and to be known by him. And so you're there and you're saying, hey, how can this work for me? In my everyday, work a day, get up, go to work, go to school, take care of the kids' life, how can, how can I know God? And the good news is that primarily, the job of knowing God has been done by Christ. But second, the good news is that God has given us ways we can open our minds, open our eyes, because you see that like with the disciples on the mountain, nothing actually changed. They just saw what was right in front of them. And so God gives us means of grace. He gives us ways that we can open our minds and our hearts to him.
through prayer, through reading the scripture, through uh, connecting with other believers, uh, through uh, doing good for others and helping others and serving others and putting others first, that somehow we open our hearts to the grace of God. Because see, when Christ comes, that's what grace really is. That's grace. Christ coming in mercy to help us. And that's what our church is about. We're about opening doors for people to encounter God. Every day in the good times and the bad times and in the in-between times. You see, that connection with God is what has sustained our church from the very beginning. Our church started with, in 1783, did you all know that? We're in this new building, but we go back over 200 years. We were the first Methodist church west of the Appalachian Mountains. And we're, we're here and we were started by a guy named John Durham who came over from Virginia. He was a Methodist in Virginia and when he got here to Boyle County, which was not Boyle County then, it was part of Mercer County, he, he gathered people around him, just a few, and said, we're going to have a Methodist class meeting here. And I was reading about the first Methodists in Kentucky, these preachers. I was reading about our second pastor, Barnabas McHenry, 1789 to 1790, the year George Washington became president. And he wasn't just our pastor, he was pastor for a circuit that was, took almost four months to cross. And he started when he was 19. He became our pastor, I believe, at 23. At 25, he became a district superintendent. At 27, his health broke down and he had to, he had to leave the field. But he kept at it every day. He, kept, he retired to a farm near Springfield, and guess what? He kept preaching. He kept arranging churches. They couldn't stop him because he was a man who knew the presence of God every day. They fi he finally begged to be let back onto preaching again, and he did, and three years later they had to retire him again. He still couldn't be stopped. And at 18 in 1833, there was a cholera epidemic where he lived near, in the place where he lived near Springfield. And he went there and even at great risk, he went door to door praying with those who are sick. And three days later, he died at the age of 65. That's the foundation of this church. Is, the, is, 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 is these people built upon the cornerstone of Christ. Of people who experienced and knew God every day. Who got up in the morning with the sense that this is the day that God has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. And that same joy and that same purpose can be yours today. Because as we walk with Jesus, as we open our hearts to what he will teach us, as we walk along life's path, even in days of ordinary and in days of great joy and sadness, he will walk there with us. And on some days, it'll be even clearer, but on all days, we'll see the glory. Let us pray.